Welcome to The Disappearing Mind, a unique podcast helping you find clarity and support along your dementia journey. Now, join National Dementia Trainer and Coach Don Platt for an all-new episode. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. On this segment today, we're going to continue to talk about people with dementia, and I'm going to share with you some continued stories about people that I've worked with, people who have touched my life and their story about how they have navigated the dementia journey. We've been talking about my dear friend Marjorie and how I came to meet her. Uh, If you're not familiar with the story, please go back in the podcast and review some of my earlier podcasts to catch up on how I met Marjorie and some of her journey, but Marjorie was a remarkable woman who I met, and for some reason, above most people that I've met on their dementia journeys, she really had a huge impact on me. She was a Southern woman with a sweet Southern accent, and I encountered her when she came to inquire about senior living, and she came to the community that I had opened as part of a team to choose her apartment and senior living and to begin to walk out her journey, whatever that unfolded for her life. So in previous podcasts, we talk about how Marjorie moved in with us. We talked about her husband and her daughters coming to make her lovely apartment really very comfortable for Marjorie. She had a lot of her life history things with her, pictures, photos, all of those things that are important. She was surrounded by furnishings that she was comfortable with and beach scenes and things that she had grown to to know and love. And we talked about as Marjorie continued on her dementia journey that she began to become a little bit more frustrated. She began to have a lot more repetitive questioning. And she would often present herself at the front desk, asking the same question over and over again throughout the day. And when she didn't feel like she got the answer she wanted, or she was just uncertain, she would present with some behaviors that could be construed as negative or problematic kinds of behaviors. But that was simply something that she used and that we would all use when we felt like we were put on the spot or trying to navigate life and we're having difficulty with that. So let's just continue on Marjorie's journey. As she had moved into the community, she had settled in. She had really done not only a great job, but she was friendly and people liked her. And so she navigated the social groups, the clubs, and a lot of the activities that she preferred to attend. And she attended most of what was going on at the community, a lot of leisure type things, entertainment, cards, games, just social kinds of things, including outings. And she had become quite popular with a group of women that we called the Golden Girls. So let me explain what the Golden Girls were. Obviously, there are groups and social organizations, whether we're in high school or college or sorority, whatever the case might be, who really are well-known and popular and 
fun to be around. That was the same case in senior living. You did have different groups of people, couples or women or even men's groups that are the most popular or maybe even just the most active. So that's what I'm referring to when I talked about this group of ladies. They were just active in life. And so they were constantly doing things and planning things. And Marjorie had become a big part of that group. So she was really active. And as she moved to senior living, one of the huge things that benefited her that I recommend to a lot of families that I counsel with, and that is going to a senior living community can really help structure your day. You have support of healthcare, you have meals that you can opt out for. So nice dining options. So you don't have to worry about that. Transportation is there and a lot of leisure activities. If you want, you can pretty much be as engaged as you want to, or just pick a few. So that's a real benefit for individuals who might need support to various degrees. And that was the case for Marjorie. So she had really settled in and done quite well. She narrowed, let me say, her living environment. Prior to that, she and her husband had lived in a boating community where they were part of a club, the boat club, and probably a much larger space to have to navigate and take care of as well as their home and everyday things like preparing meals and family engagements and expectations. So this really was very supportive because most of that was taken care of for her. So those people that she had met now had a new set of expectations that probably weren't quite as demanding as people who had known her for a long time or when she was younger. And I think that's a positive benefit of senior living. You can meet new people and really become a new person or minimize some of those expectations by setting new standards with a new group of people. That had really happened with Marjorie. And again, she seemed to be very happy and very content. She was well-liked with this group and I think somewhat respected. She was a very intelligent woman and definitely very charming. I will never forget her Southern accent. I fell in love with it. It was one of the things that drew me to her as a person. But obviously, as dementia progresses, that begins to change. And even some of your emotions or personality or your abilities to socialize can be minimized depending on where you're at in the disease stage and what's going on in your environment. For Marjorie, I spoke to you about the fact that when she came in, that she had a notebook that she read out of and she journaled almost everything. And I think that was very positive for her. I think that that notebook helped her to navigate day by day and also to go back to reflect. I don't know how often she read it, but I'm assuming that she read it to take a look at last week or yesterday or really kind of kept track of things that were going on that you would obviously lose when your short-term memory begins to disappear. So one of the things that people recommend is to journal things for people with dementia. That way they can keep their thoughts and their emotions written down. They can document interactions and conversations they have with people, or maybe just even how they feel. And for 
Marjorie, she really utilized that notebook or journal for all of those things. And when she read the things that were written there to you, you felt the emotion, you felt the impact, you felt the purpose of why she had written them. And they seemed to really reassure her of what she was saying and that this, because it was written, kind of backed that up. She didn't have to rely as much on her memory. But as uh, dementia begins to rob your loved one of their cognitive abilities and their memories, journals can really play a big role in supporting them. One of those routines, if the person, your loved one, could journal, could write some things down, it certainly would benefit them. Some of the things they might write down are grocery list or things that they want to remember, like appointments, but also conversations or perhaps who visited them. And in Marjorie's case, that became a real means of support, a real crutch, so to speak, for her. And I remember in conversations with my colleagues, as she began to decline, obviously they begin to misplace things. They're not really clear where they've set things. And Marjorie quite often would misplace her journal. And that created a state of panic for Marjorie because she had become so dependent on that journal and notebook, not only to communicate with her family when she was on the phone with them about maybe what she had ate or what she had done the last few days. It was really beneficial for her to pull up those recent memories and something that they struggle with. And so Marjorie, being the woman she was, the person who had control of her life and obviously intelligence and family, that was something that she really relied on. And I remember specifically talking with a colleague in regards to Marjorie, and she had come out and presented herself and said to my colleague and another support mechanism for her, Kim, I have lost that thing, you know, that thing. And Kim, through a process of elimination, realized that Marjorie had forgotten her journal, that she had misplaced it, and it produced a real panic for her. And so she offered a lot of reassurance for her that we're going to find it. That's not something that someone would take or anything like that. We'll locate it. Don't worry. And offered her that reassurance. That happened. The journal was located and it did relieve Marjorie to a degree, but she continued to misplace the journal and other items. And in that, you're going to encounter that on your journey with dementia or your journey with your loved one who has dementia, they become fixated on certain things that support them, just like we do in everyday life. But the difference is, is that they can't remember oftentimes what it is or where it is, and it creates a loss of control for them. And so this became a real trigger for anxiety with Marjorie, as it does with most people who have dementia, because we all come up with different mechanisms to cope. And so one of the things that we find in the early to middle stages is that your loved one will grasp and look at coping mechanisms that will help them make it through the day. What I want you to know and understand is not only is that okay, it's hugely beneficial 
you may not realize how memory dissipates, how it disappears, but anything that they can use to support their self-confidence or use as a control mechanism to keep them from spiraling is going to be of huge benefit. Remember, people who have dementia are in a constant situation where they're just trying to cope with the world around them and what the world is bringing to them. For you and I, it's something we do naturally. It's something we don't really think about unless we're under a lot of stress. But for those with dementia, it can be a real battle. And coping mechanisms are really important to look at. It's important that you take a look at your loved one and really evaluate what situations are they comfortable in? What situations do they thrive in? And what has changed in their life that they used to navigate quite well, but now it seems to cause them some angst, cause them to be frazzled. These are the things that you're going to need to help navigate to help the journey along. Coping mechanisms are something that I constantly put into place for my dementia clients and for residents who live in my memory cares that I oversee, that I work with, is what kinds of things can we do to make life and processing life easier for them? So in the profession, we say, and we always advise, step into their world, step into their situation and meet them there. And when you do, it'll make it a lot easier to know and understand what could be happening with them and why not knowing where something is could trigger the whole day, could trigger anger, frustration, tears, catastrophic reactions that you and I wouldn't have. And that is because dementia robs them of peace of mind. It robs them of being able to process normal emotions and navigate normal circumstances in their world. It's very, very real. And I don't think we talk about that quite enough. I constantly have family members ask me, why is that so important? Or why do they get so out of control or so frustrated over the smallest of circumstances? And that's why their peace is upset. That sense of control is gone. And for Marjorie, that sense of peace and that sense of control was very important. And having the notebook, the journal was so important to her that even when she couldn't remember the name of it, she knew that it was valuable. She knew that it was a resource that she could revert to, to bring her some solace. I hope that I've explained that well. I know that it might be kind of hard to understand what it feels like to be out of control. But I know for you and I, being out of control is something that we probably don't experience too often. And when we do, we do have a stressful reaction to it. And this can be an everyday occurrence for someone who's living the dementia journey. As Marjorie continued to decline, in her ability to retain memories. And as she began to decline through the dementia process, a number of other things happened. And this is one that's very heartfelt for me to kind of explain and 
I know for me, it's an emotional reaction and I've never really experienced it for myself. So as a socialite and as someone who built relationships for someone like Marjorie, who was probably a lifelong friend to many people, I know that she was very valued by her family and they seemed to be very close. She built close relationships wherever she went. And that didn't really stop when I met Marjorie or she came to senior living. Let me explain a few things about senior living that you may not understand. Wherever you go, there's always going to be a group of people and there's going to be social opportunities. But in senior living, as people are aging and their lives change, their circumstances may change and that may cause them consciously or unconsciously to change how they act towards people or their reactions towards people. They can appear to become more self-centered or maybe rude or crude or all of those things. And those, again, are just part of a survival mechanism that people go through to maintain life and to maintain dignity. We see that quite often. But in Marjorie's case, she was very active in the social setting and engagement and the Golden Girls and book clubs and games and cards and all of those types of things that they were doing. One of the things that happened to Marjorie as she began to decline was that she began to become unsure of herself. And so she would look to individuals to latch on to. In her group, she became probably a little disruptive as far as asking the same question over and over again. She was inquisitive to begin with. That really increased. And I think that maybe some of her filter went away. And so she may have not had a filter. She may have said things that she wouldn't have normally said. And many people do that as they age and certainly as dementia progresses, is they may be brutally honest without a filter. But for Marjorie, she began to be embarrassed, not being able to navigate the social circles as well as she had once done. And I had told you earlier that she started withdrawing from leisure activities and going to the dining room and other things that she had really grown to love. And I think that one of the things that happens is when you can no longer do something and you're not really sure why, you become embarrassed. And nobody wants to be embarrassed. It can be embarrassing to ask a question and you don't even know why you're asking it and you can't grasp what people are saying. You can't process it. That's what happens to many people who have dementia. Unfortunately, one of the things that happens, and I had jotted some notes, so I'm going to look at them because I want you to know and understand that this is real. This happens is that friends and family might start avoiding or rejecting those people with dementia. It happens. There are a number of reasons it happens, but a lot of times it's because of fear on their part or they simply are not aware what to do. And they're not knowledgeable about dementia, what it is, what it is not, how it progresses. I mean, there are even people 
that think that the more they're around dementia, that it could be even contagious, which is absolutely ridiculous. But people don't know what they don't know. And so you see a lot of reactions when individuals are diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease or related dementia. First reactions can be mixed on their part. They can come back with confusion and anger or outrage. There's so many emotions that they may express and they may want to talk about it with you or they may not, but there are also reactions of the many people around them. And some of those reactions can be terrible to bear. For instance, people might minimize your diagnosis and say, oh yeah, well, I forget. I forget too. So don't worry about it. They may minimize that the person or not even acknowledge what they're trying to say, oh, it's no big deal. Everybody forgets, right? They don't see the difference between normal aging and becoming forgetful with an actual diagnosis of dementia, which is quite different than just simply forgetting things. Friends may drop you because they can say terrible things like, why should I bother talking with her? She has Alzheimer's disease. She's not going to remember anyway. So they can go the opposite gamut and think that you have the diagnosis and now all of a sudden you're not able to work. You're not capable. People think you lose your intelligence. If you are still employed and you get a diagnosis, even your employer can think that you're no longer capable of even doing your work. And that's simply not the case, or in most cases, not the case. Uh, dementia has several stages and can take years to progress. So people misunderstand that both streams are both gamuts of minimizing your dementia diagnosis or over-exaggerating it. And that can be very hurtful for the person. Individuals may just kind of disappear or not visit, and you may never hear from them again. And I just can't imagine what that's like for the person uh, to understand why is my family avoiding me or shunning me or why are my friends no longer coming around or don't want to be around me. In Marjorie's case, the ladies, the Golden Girls, did exactly that. They really kind of shunned her to the degree that she didn't feel welcome. And I don't know the exact circumstances, but I certainly know that it really drove her to her apartment. It drove her to isolate. And this is not unusual in any stretch. It doesn't matter where you live, whether you live at home or whether you live in a condo or whatever the case might be. People who don't know how to act or react will often shun you out of ignorance. And it's a very sad situation, not only to get a diagnosis and to be really unsure where you are or what's happening, but to certainly have to answer to someone else and not receive sympathy and empathy for what you're going through is really, really very sad. So to the people out there who have a friend who is diagnosed and you don't know what to do, for goodness sakes, educate yourself. Listen to multiple podcasts. Go on and Google, how do I be a friend to someone who has dementia? Don't simply stop your relationship. It really is rude. It's crude. And I hope that that never happens to you because it's probably very painful. I don't know if you've ever been rejected by a friend or anything without a reason. Certainly if you have dementia and you're facing something that can be so devastating, shame on you. Reach out, find out what you can do, what you can't do. If you're fearful, again, talk about it. Ask questions. What can I do? What can I say? 
all of those things. This is really important. The last thing somebody needs when they have this diagnosis is to, to lose people around them. They absolutely need you right now to be a friend. No matter if that's just someone who sends a card or you have a weekly conversation or you still go out and have lunch, you need to be there for your friends. You need to be there for your family. And if you're a family member, get some answers. Talk to the doctor. Educate yourself. Talk to a support group. Find out where are they and what can be expected. When you meet someone who is diagnosed, you've met one person who's diagnosed. Everybody's journey can be a little bit different. And I cannot stress that enough. This is a horrible situation. We need friends. We need support. And we need support from people who know and love us. Trying to navigate new spaces and new social settings are difficult to begin with. If you don't remember that from high school and from junior high school, let me just remind you about that. So if you have the complication of having dementia, it's beyond that. And so this is really important. I want to say that even places of faith and social networks and clubs and organizations, once they hear that, there's a stigma behind a dementia diagnosis or an Alzheimer's diagnosis that people pick up. And it really is something you really need to check yourself on because God forbid that should happen to you. And it's a long process and a long journey. There's a lot of misunderstanding out there about dementia that people simply are ignorant about. They don't have knowledge about. And so do yourself a favor and do me a favor. Get educated. And building a friendship with someone who's been diagnosed with dementia is so rewarding. And you will find that there's a lot you can do by keeping memories alive and just being a friend, just being a listening ear. So I really wanted to talk about that today as we go forward. So as Marjorie continued her journey, that I think was very impactful and it led to isolation. And a lot of things that happen with people who have dementia is when they isolate, obviously we see increased depression with people who are isolated. We saw that in the pandemic. We see it with people who just aren't social, don't get out. We see a decrease in their abilities overall. We saw that during the pandemic. But with someone with dementia, it can be really that navigating the world, that opportunity to go out, that opportunity to see people and socialize, have conversations that can really make their day. And so I always encourage that. I always encourage that people remain as socially active as possible, keeping some sort of structure and routine in their life, because that's going to really make a difference in their demeanor as well as any behavior. So one of the things I think with Marjorie is that that was probably pretty hurtful. And so she just simply chose to isolate, which is probably easier, but it didn't really help her behaviors. It actually triggered her behaviors. One of the other things I think that Marjorie navigated and that I want to point out and talk about, and this is to you, family member, and it's also to you, friend, and we all kind of experience this, is that sometimes when people have a change in their behavior as they go through the dementia phases and the dementia journey, we actually believe that it's manipulation of sorts or that it's selective memory 
or that they are choosing these actions or reactions. And that simply is not the case. Because someone is not exhibiting their usual behavior does not mean that they have the wherewithal to come up with a plan to manipulate you. That would take some higher level thinking and planning and processing skills that they are now losing. So it simply is not correct that they are choosing this. Let's look at it in a different perspective. They may be grasping at straws, and so it is a way to help them be in control or feel that they're in control, that they are appearing to be controlling or manipulative or exhibiting behaviors. It's their way of reassurance. So imagine navigating a world where everything seems to be stressful and everything seems to be hard and you cannot process the simplest things. It is going to change everyone's behavior. So people with dementia go through that every single day. Their stress levels go up because the simplest task, such as getting dressed or getting ready for a doctor's appointment or making decisions or paying bills or finding their way home or having conversations, responding to questions are adding undue pressure to them can really make a difference in the reactions that you see. Seniors can develop a lot of mixed dementias. So let's talk about Lewy body dementia, for instance. The areas of the brain that are impacted with Lewy body dementia can present as a person having periods of being very lucid and other periods of selective memory or loss of memory. And it ebbs and flows. It doesn't necessarily have a pattern. You can misread that as being selective memory or manipulative but it certainly is not. It really indeed is that Lewy body impacts the brain in the areas of the brain that have to do with processing, executive function, and so on and so forth. Also, we have talked about frontal temporal dementia. Frontal temporal dementia impacts and deteriorates the part of the brain that is the personality, the behavior monitor, the morality monitor. So this person is going to lose filter at time and say things that can be very hurtful or very rash or very abrupt. And this is not a chosen behavior on their part. It is the brain deteriorating. They are not choosing this. And when you look at dementia in a way that you could say, hmm, there's something wrong with the brain. There's something going on that's causing them to act this way or react this way. It's going to be a lot easier for you to come to grips with your loved one, your parent, your spouse, acting the way they act. It's not deliberate. You cannot take it personal. It's not personal. There's no way they have the ability to sit around all day and figure out how they're going to upset you. 
it's just not there. And when you can begin to see things that way, you're able to come with a lot more empathy and a lot more sympathy for the individual. One of the things that I was determined to help Marjorie with the most, and I encounter many individuals in this way, is I have a determination to help them overcome this, to help them navigate these spaces. There's no cure forthcoming. There's medication that has some benefits, but certainly navigating these areas, not so much. So we have to take extra steps to help them not get into situations where they're going to have undue triggers or undue stress, and also to help them with prompts and cues and crutches, so to speak, to navigate their world in their day. And when you can look at things that way, you're going to be able to support them in a very positive way that's going to help minimize these triggers and these behaviors. So what are some of these triggers? Well, there are a number of them, but there are a couple in general that I want to talk about that will contribute, and that is environmental factors. What I mean by that is people with dementia do better in routines in a structured, familiar environment. When they are taken out of a structured, familiar environment, for everything, of course, safety, safety is of the utmost, it adds undue stress. Not only are they trying to navigate what's happening to them, but they're doing it while they're trying to figure out where am I, what am I doing here, and what trigger does that environment have on them. When I say environment, Obviously, if they are at home or even in a care community, they have routines in their day. And routines are important because they get used to them, they get comfortable in them, and they provide them with reassurance. So making sure that those routines are there are going to be important. Some of the other triggers is, as far as environment goes, is approach. If they're put in a place where they're approached by two or three people or they're in a area that's noisy and lots of people are talking, all of those are going to trigger their ability to concentrate and therefore trigger their reaction. For instance, if you are trying to complete something, let's say even a text, right, and people around you are talking, you'll find it a little bit more difficult to concentrate to complete that task. People with dementia go through that throughout their day. So you have to minimize noise, television, radio, multiple people talking to help them process what's being said to them as well as process their reaction. That's another trigger. Other triggers are the way that we talk to them or the way that we present questions to them. We never want to do it in a way that puts them on the spot. If they feel like there's a demand and whether you know it or not, you have a set of expectations for your spouse. You have a set of expectations for your children and for your parents. That can really trigger their response. And so we need to put them at ease to make sure that 
we are not asking undue questions or too many questions, or we're not placing a demand on them to respond in a certain way or certain mannerism. Those things are going to be very, very beneficial to them. We always want to have a conversation where there's a way out, where we're not expecting too much from them. Let me just put it that way. So when I talk to people with dementia, if I see that they're struggling in the conversation, I simply move on and change the conversation. This helps put them at ease and it helps them not to become frustrated with me or the situation. I might answer the question for them so that I am agreeing with them. Or if I know the answer to the question, I might offer the question by saying, yes, Charlie, I know that this is how you feel. And then they normally will agree with that. So getting back to Marjorie, and she represents so many people that I've worked with. Imagine going through the middle stages and not only coping with trying to maintain where you are and processing everything in a new way, including loss of emotions, but having people shun you or reject you. This uh, was really something that became very difficult for her. And so one of the things that we quickly looked at is how can we support that? And how can we offer that emotional reassurance, that sense of self? How can we support that? We simply began doing it by minimizing outside stress and outside socialization. We would always invite her to things that we set very near to her and navigated them for her, never asking her to make hard decisions, but keeping things very, very simple and navigating the dementia journey. Today, I've talked about a few things that I want you to think about out of this podcast and to kind of reflect on for your dementia journey, whatever that is. And that is when someone asks more questions and they can no longer fit in, when they might be hurting or feel rejected that people are not coming around and they don't understand why, when they're in a room and they're not part of the conversation and they have a confused look on their face. We've also looked at really analyzing the new behaviors that you're seeing and realizing that they have no choice in the matter. They're not sitting around figuring out how they can upset you or manipulate you, that that's really a higher brain function that they are no longer capable of. And then also knowing and understanding that you can put into place some crutches, some reassurances like the journal, like answering questions for them, like never putting them on the spot. I think that those things are really important and were important in Marjorie's journey. I told you that one day we would talk about the mid-level dementia programming that we actually created in and around her to facilitate life and social engagement for her. One of the things that I say quite often, and I want you to know and understand, is that she never lost her need for people. She never lost her intellect. She simply needed support in tapping into it and bringing it forth. She never lost her love of life but she simply couldn't show it in the same way. So 
as you go about your day and your dementia journey, I hope that there was something I shared in the podcast that would be beneficial for you, for friends and family members who feel awkward. I will continue to talk about this journey for you. I think that I can help you become comfortable and the little things that you can do to support your friends or loved ones who have dementia. Until next time, I hope that you can find some joy on your journey and make it a memorable day. Thank you for joining us for the Disappearing Mind podcast. We hope it's helped you find clarity and support along your journey. Be sure to subscribe to never miss an episode, visit our website to suggest future topics, and share the podcast with friends and family.